So as Sarah mentioned earlier, uh, we had an opportunity this week to be up at the family cabin. And some of you have been up to the family cabin because sometimes we get to host church retreats and things like that up there. But we call it the cabin. In reality, uh, it's a pretty nice house and a sizable house uh, up in the mountains. And so like Jesus, I get to say, in my father's house, there are many rooms, right? And in fact, that's the text that we're going to be in today. In John chapter 14, uh, Jesus uh, is, is going to sit with and comfort his disciples as he also tells them, I'm not here much longer. I'm about to pass. His crucifixion is near. Before we get into our text in John 14 today, I want to back up just a little bit, and I want to kind of couch our conversation in the context, the story that John is telling for us. So John is one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his disciples, walked with Jesus for years throughout his ministry. He witnessed the miracles Jesus performed and the teachings that Jesus shared with the Israelite people and the cities and the synagogues that he traveled to. And years later, John sat down to write his account of Jesus' life, to to write down his story of his experience with a man named Jesus that he came to believe was the Son of God, the Messiah on earth. And so today we get to continue a series as we listen to the, the, the narrative of John, John's story of his experience walking with Jesus and all the conclusions that he came to about Jesus. Uh, we've seen Jesus uh, travel from city to city teaching and healing and performing miracles. And this has stirred up a number of crowds. One crowd uh, excited. The Messiah has finally come to Israel. The king that we have hoped for has finally arrived. And then another crowd uh, often the Pharisees and some of the religious rulers of the day that are incredibly opposed to Jesus. And one of the things that's been really interesting to me as we've been through this series is to identify um, kind of the intent of the Pharisees in this moment. You see, Israel is a vassal nation under Rome. Uh, They have kind of a figurehead king sitting on the throne in Israel. But in reality, Rome rules. And there's a lot of fear as to the, the, the cruelty of Rome and the potential. What would happen if Israel were to claim they have a new king and, and, and Rome's emperor is no longer our emperor? And so the Pharisees are out to have Jesus killed at this point. And in fact, they've said it plainly. They've said it's better for one man to die for Israel than for all of our nation to perish. And in a sense, that's true. And in another sense, it's prophetic, right? This is, these, this is God's plan. This is Jesus' intent, that he would die for many. And so in John 14 today, we find Jesus reclined at a table uh, with his closest followers. And he's going to do a few things in the text today. He's going to comfort his, his disciples, saying, I am going, but it'll be okay. Because there's some promises in store for both his closest followers around that table that day and us today. Now, for our purposes today, in the next 20 minutes or so, uh, I'm going to read all of John chapter 14 in in three different chunks. I won't have the opportunity to comment on everything, uh, but I I want us to have heard the entirety of the text and Jesus' conversation with his people, and I hope there's some things that spark your interest and come out in conversation uh, over over, uh, dinner this in the week to come that maybe we we don't get to engage uh, in detail here today. But for now, we'll read in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus begins as he reclines at this table talking with his followers. He's just told them that he's going to be crucified, that his time is coming to an end. If you can put yourself in their shoes, you can imagine the responses that they had for Jesus as he says that they're expecting a king. They're hoping for a revolution, new opportunity for Israel. And Jesus is saying, my time is up. Uh, this, this gig is, is just about over, at least in the context uh, that we're living it in this moment. And his followers say, no, I would die for you. No way. Jesus, we, will, we won't let it happen, absolutely. And Jesus is telling them this is the plan. This is what will come to be. But Jesus begins here as he comforts his disciples saying, uh, I, I won't abandon you. I won't leave you on your own. There is hope. Now, when we hear this text, we probably hear this hope speaking of his father's house with many rooms in the context of eternal life, right? We think of, of this as, as uh, Jesus promising life after death, which is absolutely true of this text and the biblical narrative. Uh, but I imagine if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, what are they hearing in this moment? Are they hearing promises of an afterlife, or are they hearing Jesus talk about going to prepare some other place? Are they hearing Jesus discuss, well, since since Israel is trying to kill me, let's go and prepare a place where we can be safe, right? What's running through the minds of his followers here? Uh, Jesus, where in the world is it that you're going? And in fact, that's the question that Thomas has for him next. Uh, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? They're confused. Jesus, what are we talking about here? Uh, Why is it that you have to go away? Where are you going? How in the world could we find you if you left? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, uh, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for so long a time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show me the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus continues to console his disciples, his closest followers, confused. Jesus, where are you going and why? And Jesus makes some great promises. Wait, says Thomas, where do we go? Like, if you're not here any longer, you got to tell us where you're going. Have you ever been uh, asked to accomplish a task that you weren't equipped to do? 
Uh, of course, you, if, you've, if you've worked in the church, in the nursery, or the children's class, then you've definitely experienced this before, right? Uh, but Thomas finds himself in this awkward position. Jesus, you're saying all these things, and it's just not making sense. How could we know where to go? And Jesus' response is simple and beautiful, an iconic statement of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way to the Father is through Jesus. Now, this is not easy to swallow. Culturally today, this is a statement that's really challenging and I want to engage for a moment. In the first century, this was probably just as challenging for them to hear and understand. You see, the disciples have been on this journey of belief, a journey towards belief. Who is Jesus? And it began with confusion, and if I'm honest, it continued with confusion. But they're on this journey moving closer and closer to this conclusion that at this point I think they've come to uh, fairly securely, uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the king, he is the savior, he is sent by God. Uh, And Jesus points here, if, if you can't believe in what I'm saying, that I am in the Father and the Father in me, that I am one with the Father, if you can't believe it yet, he points their attention back to the signs, the miracles, all the things that have been happening. Believe at least in that something remarkable is happening here. And they're on this journey towards belief. Jesus invites them, believe in me in who I am. But Jesus claimed that I am the sole way, the only way to the Father, must be incredibly challenging for them. And I think it remains so today. This is one of the big complaints I hear about Christianity, right? We live in a culture that kind of leans towards, well, there's many paths to spirituality, right? And, and so any exclusive claim is kind of frowned upon and, and, and never appreciated too much. And, you know, I think there's some truth in that. Uh, there's a lot of paths that lead towards spirituality. But none of that discounts Jesus' claim here in this text. Jesus' claim is that access to the Father is through me. And he invites his followers to know that you have come to know the Father, know the Father by knowing me. And this is an interesting and nuanced conversation for me because many of us come to Scripture and we find ourselves reading about an angry God and wrath in the Old Testament and then all this conversation of love in the New Testament and we find it so disjointed and confusing. Jesus' claim in this text and throughout uh, the the, uh, gospel accounts is that you know the nature of the Father by knowing me. And so for the past number of months, we've been studying this account that John writes of Jesus' life. What do we know of God through the character of Jesus? That he heals and that he helps and that he sees the hurting and the marginalized and he goes to those places and instead of healing from a distance, he'll lay his hand on a person with leprosy. We see the nature of God in Jesus and Jesus claims exactly that today. I am the way to the Father I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. Come to know the Heavenly Father. Now, uh, he points to uh, incredible power and potential. He says, in belief comes incredible opportunity and power. Uh, He even goes so far at the end of our text that we just read there to say that you will do greater things than you have even seen me do. You see, Jesus is beginning to promise something remarkable to his followers that are distraught and confused. Jesus is beginning to point to something incredibly powerful. 
And in that moment, they might not have been able to understand or really receive it or take it in. But Jesus' promise is powerful in this text. Of all the miracles you've seen me do, all the teachings, all the lives changed, people raised from the dead, all of these things that you've witnessed, Jesus says this is just the beginning. You see, because God's kingdom on earth, in God's kingdom on earth, you will see far greater things than you have witnessed even at this point. In this ambiguous moment in in the story in which his followers are confused and Jesus is pointing to something big and remarkable and huge potential, Jesus invites them to know this is not the end of the story. And he continues in verse 15, if you love me, then keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live in you. You also live in me. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken will still with you, but the advocate, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going to the Father and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let's leave. Jesus sits and consoles his closest followers. I'm going away, but I will not leave you as orphans in this world. In first century Israel, the plight of an orphan uh, was not an easy one. The hope would be that there would be a close relative, a family member, to take in a child if their parents were to pass away, but that was often not the case. And so built into the, the, the fabric of Israel's society was ways to care for orphans and widows, particularly vulnerable people. And Jesus draws this parallel here for his apostles. Once I am gone, you will feel that vulnerable. You will feel that alone, that weak and confused. What in the world will we do? But I will not leave you as an orphan. Jesus is beginning to prepare his followers for what will come when he's no longer here. And the great, great promise that coincides with this promise that you'll see even greater things than you've seen me do is the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is vast and beautiful. In Scripture, we, re- we read of the Holy Spirit in, in the very beginning. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And in Israelite culture, the waters always refer to chaos and, and places of unrest. And there's God's Spirit hovering where there is chaos. God was present in the very beginning. We read of God's Spirit throughout the Old Testament, um, often coming upon people to give them power or ability to do something miraculous and amazing that would accomplish God's purposes. And then we begin to see this conversation in the life of Jesus of a new era in which the Spirit would operate in a different way. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is great. In fact, in one of the other gospel accounts, Jesus says to his followers, it's actually good that I'm going away because when I go away, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. Do you hear how good a promise the Holy Spirit must be if Jesus is able to say, it's good that I'm leaving you because that. When the Holy Spirit comes, it will be that much greater. Without going into much detail, I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles this week in the book of Acts. It comes right after the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And it tells the story of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost and God beginning to work in powerful and miraculous ways. People begin to see unbelievable things, and they hear the good news, the gospel spoken in their own language, and thousands of people come to follow Jesus on that day. You remember the promise Jesus is making to his his apostles right now. He's saying, when the time comes, you'll remember all these things that I've said. As they sit in this room, still kind of confused, what in the world is he talking about? He's preparing them for what will happen. A time when the Holy Spirit will come and they will see remarkable things. In Scripture, we see the Spirit spoken of as the Spirit of truth in the text we're in today. The Spirit will be our counselor and our guide. The Spirit will be God's presence dwelling among us. And see, Israel had a rich history of God's presence amongst them. It began with a tabernacle, a tent that could be set up, a place in which God would dwell and they would go to worship. And then eventually they had the temple, and in the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies would be the place that God would reside, and they would come to the temple and they would worship God in that place. But Jesus is describing something remarkable, something entirely new to the ears of the Israelites that God would dwell inside of each of them. There's no longer a place to which you would go to worship or to be near to the presence of God, but Jesus, as he comforts his closest followers, said, understand this. This is a seismic shift. God is going to send the Holy Spirit who will dwell inside of you, that you would be the temple of God, the place from which God's presence radiates into the world. This is the promise of Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit in the text today. And I don't know if you noticed with me as we read through there, Jesus kept speaking of keeping my commands, right? He he kept saying, now if you love me, then you'll keep my commands. Those that love me, they, they follow in my way, they keep my commands. And I don't know about you, but I get a little bit prickly uh, when um, I'm told what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it. it. It's, I've never been a great rule follower, and it's probably something I need to, it is something I need to continue to work on. Uh, however, I see text like this, and I wonder, what in the world is Jesus on about here? 
if you follow my commands. You know, in the Old Testament, there's hundreds of commandments, right, that God had for the Israelite people, and they governed the way their nation was to operate and the way they were to worship God and all these sorts of things. Now, Jesus, as he came on the scene, uh, begins to be questioned uh, about, you know, what commandments do we need to keep and how do we keep them? You see, the religious leaders of the day had built all these extra rules around God's law that people wouldn't get close to accidentally breaking a rule, but it had become such a burden to the followers of God, to, to the Israelite people. All these laws had become such a burden. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says things like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's an easier way. And if you were here last week, or if you weren't here, or you missed this, uh, Jesus laid out for his followers his one new command. He says, this is the command that I want you to live by. It was found in chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The simplicity is astounding if you'll just learn to love. But if we dig deep enough, if we search our souls and our hearts just a little bit, I bet you will recognize also how incredibly challenging the command of Jesus is. It is simple in nature and incredibly challenging to live by. You see, Jesus has been heightening the commands, the expectation of the people. What was happening in Israel is probably the same thing that happens in many of our lives, certainly people like me that don't love to follow rules. Uh, You take the law and you figure out how you can get around it, right? You take the rule and you figure out how maybe I can just skirt by in this way or that. And that's exactly what was happening in Israelite culture. And so when people came to Jesus and they asked him, you know, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to trap him in his words. And he answers properly. It's love God with all your heart. He doesn't stop there. He says, but the second most important commandment is similar to that one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And again, a person trying to justify him says to Jesus, yeah, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells a story about the most despicable person they could imagine. He said, now that's your neighbor. Learn to love. And now Jesus takes this conversation of love even a step further in chapter 13 there when he says, I want you to love in the way that I have loved you. How did Jesus love? In a sacrificial way that he would give his own life for the sake of those that he loved. And now he asks us, or he asks his followers on that day, but he asks us as well, will you love the way I love? Love as I have loved you. And he speaks of the result. If Jesus' people were to learn to love like he loves, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you learn to love like I love, it will change the world. People will know who God is as we learn to love in the way that Jesus loves I hear this invitation in Jesus' words today to to shake off all the baggage and the guilt and the confusion that his followers were experiencing then and that we're experiencing now. And he says, would you just learn to love? Now, we would be remiss to think we could do that in our own power, right? 
Like, what if we just really all buckled down and chose to love well? Wouldn't that make a big difference? It, it would make a, a big difference, if I'm honest. There's a lot of us in this story and in this journey. A lot of expectation that we would choose to align ourselves with the way of Jesus. However, it's not near enough. We will always fall short. And so the promise of Jesus in this text is incredibly important as we consider following his commandment as well. You see, there will be times when we cannot conjure up love in ourselves or in a situation. We'll come across people's circumstances, situations that are too great, too devastating that I could in and of myself love in this moment. And Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, our counselor and our guide, that will remind us of the words and the ways of Jesus. And so we'll find ourselves in the week to come in situations where we are not feeling love, where we're not desiring to demonstrate love towards people. And I would invite us in those moments, take a step back, spend a moment in prayer, invite the presence of God that dwells inside of you to manifest love that only he can in our lives. You see, as we zoom out and look at our text today, we find Jesus with his closest followers about to die, and I love the poise and the posture of Jesus. He says, understand, though I'm going to go, my peace I leave with you. And he invites them to live in a radical way. You know, when the conversation on the table is crucifixion and death, the last thing you'd think the conversation would be about is love, and yet that's Jesus. And I love that about him, right? He says, learn to love in the way that I have loved you. And so today I hear for us just an invitation. Uh, It's obligation and it's invitation. Is it okay if it's both of those things? It's obligation because God has so loved us that something's expected of us. But the burden is not too great. My, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, says Jesus. Will you receive the gift of the Spirit? And as you receive the Spirit, will you receive love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Will you receive from me all those things that you might reciprocate it in the world? That we might learn to love as Jesus loved. Let's pray about that. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time and this opportunity to explore the words of Jesus. We're grateful for them, for men like John who who got to witness and then record their experience with him. And and God, we are all on a journey towards belief. And uh, we invite you, Spirit, just to move in us and with us as we continue to explore uh, the things of Jesus, God, your intent in this world. And I pray that today as we, um, as we listen to these words, God, that you will just impress upon our hearts your deep love for us, that you have loved us, and not just in a feeling, but in action, that you would sacrifice on our behalf. And God, I pray that as followers of Jesus, you will empower us, inspire us, Spirit, that you will fill us with love, that we might get to reciprocate your love in the world. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.